the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesco. It's Wednesday, April 15th. 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA, and all state insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, the calendar has hit mid-April with no baseball, no NHL and NBA playoffs. March Madness has came and went. And equally bad for you is no Sunday trips to the movie theater. I know that's important. We'll talk about that. Uh, we do still have Philly Press Box Radio Sports Trivia, though, coming up again tonight at 8 p.m. on the Bill Furman Facebook Live page, though. You can check that out. Indeed, we will talk about all of that in a bit. But, yeah, regarding movies, Bill, I noted on Facebook yesterday that I ended up seeing 51 movies released in 2019. So far here in 2020, I've seen just five new releases for obvious reasons, three in the theater, two at home. Theaters probably won't be open for at least a couple of months, maybe longer. And incidentally, I'll be doing a fun parting shot this evening related to movies, so stick around for that. But right now, Bill, we need to play our shelter-in-place social distancing song of the week. So we're going to go to this oldie but goodie from Tommy James and the Shondells. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, isn't that the truth? Good song, too. That's, yeah. What year is that from? Uh, I don't know exactly, but I'm going to say 67-ish. Okay. 1967 right. Well, hey, Chad, I can tell you this. Regardless of what happens with the 2020 season, and at one point we are going to play ball, uh, but we're sure of one thing. The Baseball Hall of Fame Golden Era Committee is going to vote in December to select its class of 2021, and former Philly Dick Allen is on the ballot again. Yeah, as we know, Allen, as well as Tony Oliva, fell one vote short when that committee last met in 2014. And everybody's hoping that we'll get a better outcome this time around when the Golden Days era committee meets or whatever it's called now. Uh, I think it's going to happen. Everybody is hoping so. And there's a lot of optimism that Dick Dick will finally get in. Absolutely. And uh, there's nobody better to talk on this subject uh, of Dick Allen being deserving of the Hall of Fame than our first-time guest, Mark Carfagno, a.k.a. Frog. And, Mark, uh, welcome to Philly Press Fox Radio for your maiden voyage. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Hey, Frog. How are you doing? We're doing, doing great, great, man. What's doing up? great. Uh, hey, Frog, uh, That's be- great. before we talk about Dick Allen, for folks who don't know, when did you actually work for the Phillies, and what was it like working for the organization back then? Well, I actually started working at Connie Mack Stadium, but that was just selling uh, newspapers for the old Philadelphia Bulletin. And I actually started working for the Phillies in, at Veterans Stadium in 1971 uh, on uh, giveaway Sundays and giving out all-star ballots. And then in the mid-July of 1971, uh, Bill Giles felt they needed more people on the ground crew. So I was hired then, and uh, I stayed there for 33 years. I thought I'd only stay there for maybe until the end of that season or until I got out of college in 1972. But uh, I kind of, you know, being a baseball nut that I am, and uh, I decided to stay there, love baseball, uh, met some great people, uh, met some great players, saw the greatest of the greats. I think I saw better ones at the old ballpark, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, although they did play at the vet near the end of their career. But, you know, watching players like Stan Musial and uh, on TV, Al Kaline and Tony Oliva and Rod Carew and players like that, you know, these are the greats of the game. Uh, and to, to be able to see them up close, you know, when they came, Willie Stargell and uh, uh, Johnny Bench hit three home runs off Carlton that one game. Yeah. Uh, some great athletes, uh, big, fast, strong. And uh, it was just, you know, terrific. And had the best seat in the house right behind home plate. And, uh, <laughs> Willie Carpenter, the old owner. Uh, used to sit down there in the tunnel with us for about the first five innings. Oh, wow. And he was really a huge baseball fan. Well, hey, Frog, uh, so, so you weren't there with the Phillies yet when Dick Allen was there from 64 to 69. Uh, how did it happen that you and Richie Dick Allen eventually hit it off and you know became pretty good friends? Actually, I met him the first time in uh, 1971 when he was with the Dodgers. And we were actually leading our lunch, which was, I would say, like 4 o'clock. And uh, Dick came in wearing a vanilla velour leisure suit, big fedora hat, 
shiny cream shoes, and he'd come in, he was looking for the old groundskeepers, you know, and uh, just to make sure they were still working it, you know, with veterans, uh, you know, because they went from the grass to the after. And and indeed, they did did keep a few from the Connie Mack Stadium, and uh, because, you know, taking care of the pitcher's mound and the the, uh, the home plate was really an art. And then them old timers taught us. And anyway, Dick sat down with us, and we talked a little bit before he was headed down back to the Dodgers clubhouse. But that's the first time I was really introduced to him, you know. But then I, for the first time in 1975, when he came back, uh, I was actually in the uh, in my locker room. Uh, it was, I think it was May of '75, somewhere in there, and they had the press conference upstairs. And after they had the press conference, you know, Larry Shank wanted a photo shoot, so they walked. They took him from the fourth floor, I guess, you know, and down to the second, down to the Bowser Stadium. If you're familiar with Veterans Stadium, they had that home plate tunnel, and yeah. our locker was right there. So he's walking down the tunnel, and he said, "Stop, gentlemen! I have to go inside and see somebody." And he didn't let nobody in. He just walked in, and he walked by me a little bit. And he went right to the back and saw. Uh, in the laundry room was Pete Sierra. I don't know if you remember Pete Sierra. Was the uh, old clubhouse guy? Yeah. Uh, he was a trainer in the minor leagues, and uh, he took care of Dick when Dick was uh, uh, first got off that plane in Tampa. You know, when the uh, segregation, he couldn't you know eat with the white players, and and uh, Pete really took care of him. He never forgot of it. Pete was only about five foot three or five foot four, but you know. He really fought for Dick, and he fought for the other black players, and he he, he loves them. He does, he calls him his mother, Mother Siri. He used to call him, and Dick's <laughs> mother era was very appreciative of uh, what Pete did for her son. I'll never forget the one time she came to a game, and she was like a royalty. She came in a big. Uh, uh, big hat, you know, like the Queen would would wear, and uh, it did. She uh, she called Pete out of the clubhouse, and you know of course Dick was there, and the players came out, and you know she gave hug, she gave Pete a big hug and said thank you for taking care of my son. Now this is uh, you know when Dick went to the minor leagues and probably what in 1960. So you're talking this is like 15 years later. She's still thanking him, and uh, Pete was a great guy. And then I knew right then that hey this guy must be special. You know he he's talking to little people, and, uh, and before he even went onto the field for that photo shoot. And then, naturally, uh, uh, you know, he started playing. And then Pete had told uh, Dick that uh, I had lost my parents uh, when I was a teenager. And um, he came over, and he knew me a little bit. And he said, Pete told me you don't have, you, know, you lost your parents. I said, yes, I did. And I lived by myself. And uh, he said, listen, if you, ne- if you need anything, and... Uh, Ever need anything? Ask, and if you don't, uh, I'm gonna whoop your butt. You know, so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and I told this to I think before back then. You know, we're being here from Southwest Philly, right near the airport. We like to go to the South Jersey Shore, whether it was Avalon, Wawa, or whatever. And you know, and when the team was away, we generally went down the shore. But but there was times I was just, you know, financially strapped. I really couldn't go. And you know, I'd go into my locker right before the weekend, and there'd be like a hundred or two. Two hundred hour bills in there, and uh, of course that was left by Dick. So, wow. and then in uh, the in the off season, I'd go up to his farm. You know, I met his whole family. You know, his his daughter who got uh, who was fatally shot. His two sons his, uh, stayed over there. His wife, his first wife Barbara, was a wonderful person. Uh, they were just you know they're just great human beings, and uh, you know and uh, the, the rap that he gets, the bad rap, you know, is being a malcontent and. Uh, I guess the best way to explain, and you probably know, Chad, is uh, he's just really just a little bit misunderstood. Yeah. He's very shy, but uh, I'm telling you, talk about a nice person. There's not, there, I couldn't meet a nicer guy, and it's just a shame that you know that stigma that was placed on him, uh, mostly by that Bill James, and of course some of the sports writers in Philadelphia and nationally. Uh, it just it just just seems it will never go away. Like you read an article now, like the last you know you gaining momentum for the Hall of Fame. You read all the articles, same ones I do, and you know, but it's always somebody always has to put that butt at the end, and that frustrates me. Why? Why that happened? That's sixty years ago, right? Almost fifty five yeah. years ago. It's twenty twenty. So now you're know, talking nineteen. You know, that's a long, long time ago. And it's not like he didn't. You know, he didn't beat. A, he didn't. You know, he didn't beat anybody up. He wasn't abusive to females. You know, he didn't do any drugs. 
you know, he didn't murder anybody. He all, all he did, he was a little bit outspoken. Now, that's all he, you know, he stood up for his rights. And sure, he'd like to have a beer or two, but so the hell did Mickey Mantle. But you know, it never affected his performance on the field. You know, yeah, I mean, when he was on that field, he was all business, and he was a team player, and he used to you know, the insights to tell me about the game of baseball. You know, how it should be played. It's just to watch him take batting practice, and uh, uh, the way he would do it was, uh, you know, just you know, he'd go and uh, it would be bunt, bunt, a couple bunts, you know, and then okay, now we're going to try to move the runner. He hit it over to the right side, and then it would be okay. I'm going to go right up the middle. He used to like to hit the, hit the ball up the middle, and the you know legend has it hit that line drive over Mickey Lolich's head. Then it went in the center field. You know, he did hit them line drives. You know, and then after he got a couple back to the box, thankfully they had that. Uh, pitching screen there. That poor pitcher would again, uh, I think it was Hank King back then and uh, Connie Newman. They're just good names that come off the top of my head. And then they'd say, okay, boys, it's time to go. And then he'd swing that 42-ounce pole and, you know, the, the people would be in awe watching batting practice. And, and, and that's another bad rap he gets like, well, I, you know, well, he didn't take batting practice. He wasn't there. Uh, I can tell you a story about spring training. Uh, I went down spring training when he was there, and uh, people don't know this. And the only the people that didn't know it was Danny Ozark and uh, Paul Owens. And he hit at six o'clock in the morning in the cage. We just have to get the key and open up. Me and my fellow groundskeepers, uh, me and another guy, set up the cage for him, and he called a pitcher in. You know, at you know, probably Hank King, like five thirty. And he would take BP, you know, for, he'd be like seven, then they'd go and take a couple of ground balls, and he was done for the day. You know, and he wouldn't even go to the to the clubhouse. So right away, people thought, you know, that he didn't show up, you know, like, oh, he wasn't there. But, but and of course, management wasn't going to tell me he was sitting at 6 o'clock because, my God, they would have been there 4 a.m. in the morning waiting for him. Mm-hmm. He didn't like anybody, he didn't like any crowds, and, you know, and, and, and even – even during the regular season, he would find a cage before he went to Veterans Stadium and hit and you know and hit balls, you know, and then you know he would get ready. He had his own way of getting ready, or he would just hit under the tunnel, you know, and and then he you know, he knew how much time he knew how much his work his body needed. And uh, I tell you, I say what you talk about a, a specimen of an athlete. The body was incredible. He was a terrific. I mean, the three he was a great the equivalent of a McDonald's All American basketball player. Uh, according to his brother Hank, told me he had 103 Division One scholarship offers. You know, and uh, I, I recall the time we were up at his farm. He might have been in his mid to late 50s, and uh, he said, "Come on, we got to go." You know, feed the horses. Walking up there, he was in his bare feet, and in the barn he had a, a rim, a regular regulation uh, rim there in his basket, and uh, there was a basket, and, and it was court. I mean, the court. I'm sorry, the surface was dirt. You know, and uh, he picked up the basketball. Now you're talking like quarter after six in the morning, and ju- right under the basket, jumped straight up on the air, barefooted, and dunked the ball two hands. You know, I, hey, I was like, "Hey, Mark, wow. I, 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 I do need to ask you something though. I, I want to talk about the numbers for just a minute. They, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure you do, but they're just little things. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good stuff, and I think it ties to this. Seven-time All-Star, 351 home runs, Rookie of the Year, MVP. He gets eligible for the Hall of Fame back in 1993, receives just seven, uh, 3.7% of the votes. And now, after 15 seasons, he only gets 19% of the votes. How have we gotten from 1998 to 2015, where he missed by just one? You guys have, have something going and a campaign. And how do we get from here to there? Uh, you know, 19% to down to one vote is pretty darn good. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, let's, let's, I just want to correct you there. He was on the ballot from uh, 1983, I think it was, for 15 right. years. The, high, yeah. the highest percentage you ever got was uh, uh, 18.9, 19%, whatever. Wow. And right. then, uh, and I, I started writing letters to the Hall of Fame back then, or, or to the writers. But then after a while, I knew it was for, uh, you know, why do it? Because uh, he never spoke to the writers. But they had the wherewithal back then. You needed a certain percentage. I think he's still doing now to stay on that ballot. So he stayed on that ballot uh, for 14 of the 15 years, and then he, they, I guess the writers figured they push him over to the veterans committee, and the veterans committee would vote him in. Now, in the 199, so then I started writing more letters, you know, to the actual Hall of Fame players. Uh, then suddenly it changed, I guess, in 2000, where the writers come back in it. And again, uh, they nominate the um, ele- they nominate 
11 writers, 11 members of the BBWA. It's called the Historical Overview Committee. And uh, they nominate the uh, 10 candidates that are uh, placed on that ballot. Now, to me, that doesn't make any sense because they shot him down for 15 years. He didn't hit any more home runs or do anything else, you know, since he last left. But anyway, that's the way the Hall of Fame wants it, and that's the way they do it, and that's fine. So, you know, we play by the rules, and we've been very successful. And then how it really took off, honestly, was in 2013 in February when Richard Allen Jr. gave me a call, and he said, look, uh, you know, he called me Frog. And he says, Look, I want you to do me a favor, two favors if you can. He goes, sure, I'd like my father to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and, but m- more importantly, I'd like to clear my father, you know, like so-called bad boy image because my son, uh, Trey, they call him Richard III, or Dick's grandson, was hearing uh, uh, verbal abuse from the people on the stands watching a baseball game or watching a high school or watching a, a basketball game. The kid was pretty good in both sports. And... Uh, and uh, then he had his own friends tell him, uh, yeah, we heard your grand- grandfather was a pretty good baseball player, but he wasn't a nice person, you know. And and now I can't imagine, you know, your grandson, your son coming home and tell dad, what's the story with grandpa? You know, so I said, look, all right, okay, all right, we got Richard Allen the third, second rather, Dick's son. I call him Doobie, that's what we called him, you know, whenever, ever since he was a kid. So he said, look, I, I want you to uh, see what you can do. So I said, all right. I said, I don't know if your dad will be too happy about this because he doesn't like, uh, you know, anybody tooting his horn. Yeah, I said, well, we'll do the tooting for him, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so he, um, he also told me uh, there's a, a, a group in Chicago. Actually, it was Howie Bedell gave me a call. You remember that name? Howie I do, Bedell? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, everybody remembers. Hey, yeah, yeah. He called me up and said, Frog, there's a group in Chicago to call the uh, to Chicago Baseball Museum. And there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Fletcher. He's a regular MD, but uh, he is the uh, president of the museum. It's beautiful. And they were there when Dick uh, uh, played in 70, 72 through 74. And in uh, 2012, they had the 40th anniversary celebration. And Dick was there, and he goes, they really love him, you know. So uh, so I got in touch with him, and along with the connections I had, you know, now this was 2013, February, so we almost had two years because the vote was coming up in December of 2014. So we had, what, 22 months or something like that. So 2013 went kind of slow, and we didn't really hear too much from uh, uh, Dr. Fletcher and, uh, and people from the museum. So uh, finally I just said, you know what, do we uh, – let, I'm going to do it myself. Let's do it. And um, so, um, uh, Ted Solari from uh, we got the, this was this was the real big break we got. To, you know, if you know who Ted Solari was, he was yeah. this, he covered high school sports for the Philadelphia Daily News for probably he's a legend. forty yeah. well, forty high school years. Legend. Yep. Yeah, he is a legend. Yes, he is. And I used to do the stats for uh, you know for football, baseball, and basketball for him. You know, and I, and I wrote on his website for him, you know, for like 20 years or something. And he said to me, he said, Frog, this was like in March of 2014. He said, uh, on Wednesday night, you know, uh, Dick Allen's grandson, he played for St. John Newman Regional Academy. They're going to be playing a game against Mass Civics and Science. They were a powerhouse uh, from Philadelphia, and they were going to meet in a state semifinal game. So he said, do yourself a favor, call Tom Mahan who uh, wrote for the uh, Daily News, wrote the column High and Inside. I don't know if you remember that. It was uh, like uh, Daily News, of course, being a, a tabloid. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the sports, I'm sure you, like myself, always start from the back page. Oh, yeah. So when you would flip that back page, the first thing you would see was a little uh, thing called High and Inside. and had a little, you know, a little brief paragraph about sports. So he said, call Tom and let him know what you want to do. So I told Tom, so uh, uh, maybe sure enough, a couple of days later, Holland and High inside it said, tomorrow night, uh, Mass uh, Civics and Science in Philadelphia will take on St. John Newman Regional Academy uh, featuring Dick Allen, uh, Richard Allen III, uh, uh, the, son, uh, the grandson of former Philly slugger Dick Allen, who was also a great basketball player, uh, and whose son, Richard Allen, is uh, starting a, a campaign to try to get his father in along with Mark Frog, Carfagno, and they have this Facebook page. You know, Dick Allen belongs in the Hall of Fame. And uh, 
So when when that came into paper, when that was in the paper, believe me when I tell you guys uh, that people either read it online or they read it in the paper. My phone exploded, home phone, cell phone, computer. These people still today who have been working now, this is like for six years, I've never seen their faces. And yet you see the list. I don't know, are you on that list? Yes. Chet that I yep. sent out? Yep, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You see all the names. There's actually two lists because it got too many. I think it's 123 people now. And, you know, these people are helping. But like I said, most of them I didn't see. And, you know, and there's some of them are based, and they're good people, some of them. I got the best of the best. Baseball <laughs> historians. I got Bill Jenkinson. I got Bill Cachetis. I got Dr. Mitch Nathanson. Uh, I got um, Ryan Spader's on board now. Uh, I got John Shifford. All these guys know stats, metrics, stuff. I, you know, I don't understand them until you know I'm starting to understand a little bit better. And also, I got some help. You know, Stan Hockman, he got on board. Man, to get a man like him on your side back in 2014 was absolutely huge. And uh, and then uh, uh, I, I said, you know what? I remember Mayor Nutter. He was. Uh, when he got came to mayor in 2008, and he was on the Daily News Live, I guess that show was on. Uh, yep. I was probably I don't know if it was Comcast, could have been Prism, I don't know. But it was <laughs> on live, and they, it was like the third day in office, and they had him as a guest because he went. He's a St. Joe Prep guy, and uh, they said, "Mayor, who's your favorite athlete of all time?" And he said, "Dick Allen." So when I heard that, I went, "Wow, Dick Allen." Well, anyway, I wrote a letter to the man. Never, never heard anything. So uh, in 2014, you know, this thing was going pretty strong. Uh, actually, the mayor at that time, he was in uh, Rome trying to get the Pope to come to Philadelphia. So a friend of mine said, look, uh, Frog, why don't you try calling Councilman Kenny, uh, Jim Kenny. You know, he's a friend of ours. Yeah, I'm a mummer. Jim Kenny's a mummer. And I've seen him down the shore a couple of times. So I told him what I wanted to do. He said, well, the mayor's not here. Maybe I can help. You know, he goes, I'll put a resolution. And, uh, you know, and uh, you can come and I'll bring up the resolution. It'll be like a week or two. And then the next week we'll vote on it and we'll get the city behind it. So I said, wow, yeah. So anyway, long story short, he brought up the resolution. And then uh, the day of the vote of the resolution, because we had to wait a week or two, uh, Stan Hockman showed up and, uh, you know, the resolution was passed, you know, for the city of Philadelphia to get behind it. And then and then that would, Stan wrote a big article about it. And then next thing you know, we had uh, Bob Nightingale from USA Today. We had Bill Roden from uh, what's that? ES, uh, from the uh, no, that's not, Howard Bryant from uh, ESPN, the magazine, and ESPN. We had Bill Roden from the New York Times. You know, these are national writers that all you know wanted to pick up on the story. And then uh, I was on TV. I got interviews, and uh, and then Mike Sealski wrote this huge column after. Uh, the mayor wanted to do something. After Mike Sealski wrote this huge column when, uh, in October, uh, Mike came to my house. He came a couple of days to interview me and my wife. He brought a photographer with him, and the story came out in a Sunday paper, and it was kind of embarrassed because it was huge. And uh, the next day I had to go to work. I was, uh, I was working, and uh, my wife was home, and uh, I got a phone call from my wife. And uh, my wife tells me, uh, I got a phone call today. And someone said, uh, is this the Carfagno residence? And my wife said, yes. Is this uh, Mark Carfagno's house? My wife said, yes. Is this the Mark Carfagno that was in the paper yesterday? My wife said, yes. The gentleman said, I'm calling from the mayor's office. I'm the PR guy for Mayor Nutter. He read Mark's, He read the story on Mark, and he'd like to meet Mark. You know, so, <laughs> so he said to the mayor, so he said, have Mark call me. When he gets home, so I had called him maybe probably the next day, and I called him, and yeah, not the mayor, the PR guy, I think his name was McDonald, and he had given me, uh, he said, the mayor, Nutter, we'll be calling you on a cell phone. And sure enough, one day he gave me a call. I was busy actually covering a football game, going back to Ted Tulare again, and um, he left a voice message on my phone, and I was up at Frankfurt and uh, high school, and I said, oh, boy, and I usually had to run home and do the stats. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm waiting until the mayor calls. So I waited in my car, and maybe like 5.20, he called, and we had a nice talk. And he said, look, I want to do something. And uh, I went up there, and uh, it was the mayor and Jim Kenny, and uh, had a couple speakers up there with me. And, uh, you know, and now we go to, from city council, now we go to mayor's office, who wrote a letter. And just coincidentally, two days later, they announced that Dick Allen was on the ballot. So, you know, all, you know with all that, all the help, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I like to tell people, you know, it's a crusade. You know, I, I'm on this crusade and, uh, uh, 
you know, a, a patient is my, uh, have, have an ally. You're persistent as my ally. And uh, I'm, I'm really not going to stop because we're pretty close now. And uh, we just hope that, you know, they do the right thing. Um, uh, we're trying to get, you know, uh, some people on that voting committee. A lot of them have passed. Another one passed uh, today, I believe, Jim Fry. He was on that mm-hmm. voting committee in 2014. Jim Bunning was on the voting committee. He passed. Uh, David Glass was a good friend of David Montgomery, the owner of the Kansas City Royals. He passed away. Al Kaline passed away. Uh, oh, God, I'm missing someone else. Well, hey, Frog, uh, let, me, let me interrupt you here a second because we've got to wrap up in a few minutes, actually. I've mentioned this before. Oh, I didn't know that. oh I'm sorry. But when, when I was a kid in the mid and late 60s, Richie Allen, as we called him back then, he was my favorite Philly. And. You know, as was the case for many people, it was must-see TV when he came to the plate in the hope that he'd do something Absolutely. like this in 1969. Here's Bill Campbell with the call. Allen has 18 home runs, 44 RBIs. <laughs> there she goes! Oh, what a drive! Right over the soft drink sign on the roof. He is too much. So i got to ask you, is, <laughs> is this the year that it's going to happen, Frog? They meet in December. Is he going to get the needed votes? What do you think? I think he will. I think he will. They meet uh, December 6th. I don't know what the pandemic going around, but I think they'll have a vote. It'll be December 6th in Dallas, Texas. I got my room booked, and uh, there's a new president of the Hall of Fame. His name is Tim Mead. He actually called me a couple times uh, telling me about the voting process. All I tell him is I want it to be a fair process. That's all. And uh, I think we're going to get the right people on the committee. And, uh, you know, if, if you go by, like I, I made one statement, you go, a precedent has been set in 2017 on the modern ballot. Uh, uh, Ted Simmons received 11 votes. Uh, he missed. 2019, he was on a modern ballot again. He got in the Hall of Fame. So getting uh, 11 votes is, a, is an equivalent of 68.75% of the vote. So if you were to get that percentage on a writer's ballot or a uh, Veterans Committee ballot, you're almost guaranteed the Hall of Fame. So to me... It should be a no-brainer, especially with that uh, the voter who got replaced. Bob Watson was there. He took sick, and Dave Dombrowski took his uh, yeah. took his place. And uh, rumor has it that he didn't, he didn't vote for Dick or Tony Oliva. Like I told uh, Tim Mead, just just give me a fair vote. Put the numbers out there, and I think Dick will get in because he has to get in. You know, because it's probably one of the biggest injustices of all sports. Because when you look at the numbers, we didn't talk the numbers like the OPS. You know, that's the big number. Yeah. 156 lifetime. Once career. Career. It's uh, tied for 21st all time. Just go on baseball reference. Click that stat in there and look at all the pictures. Most of them are black and white because they're players like Tris Speaker and Babe Ruth and, uh, you know, uh, well, Mim Mantle's on there. The names are incredible. And to see Dick Allen's face there in color with them names, I'm sorry, that, that guy that, that has to be a Hall of Famer. If it's not a Hall of Famer, there's something wrong. System's wrong, and you know it, it, you, I want the Hall of Fame to tell me. Okay, if it's not, it can't be the numbers. You tell me why he's not in the Hall of Fame, and then they are going to tell me why. If you don't get in, because I'm going to be, I'm not going to be one happy person. And neither is uh, Dick Allen's son and the thousands of fans like yourself who strongly believe he deserves an all Hall of Fame. And also, I've got probably gotten 40 testimonials from players who played with or against Allen who've written letters to the Hall of Fame that'll that that are in the possession right up there in in a folder with his name on it that have been there since uh, 2014 and several others have written and they're there now his folder keeps bigger and bigger and and the the interest and the momentum keeps bigger and bigger and you know the biggest I'm sure it'll be utopia let's hope on that <laughs> December 6th and the state of Dallas and Dallas Tech. All right. Well, hey, Mark, we have run out of time already. We used up 30 minutes, and uh, but we certainly yeah. appreciate you coming by. Great stuff, uh, great insight, and uh, we're with you. We're, we're behind the Dick I know you're 100%. And, uh, you know I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, you guys, really. And I, I'm, glad right, I got to tell the, I'm glad I got to tell them other stories about, uh, you know, how he took batting practice and how he was to little people, you know, because, you know, the numbers have been talked about a lot. You got it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Frog. Okay, okay Mark. Thanks, All right, man. All right. Hey, Chad, if you're looking for insurance in the Tri-State area, we've got the spot for you. All-State Insurance in Westchester, PA. 
Yes, sir, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700. Again, the number, 610-430-0700. And hey, Bill, this guy turned 75 on Tuesday. He's played off and on with Deep Purple and also formed Rainbow, Richie Blackmore. And this is part of his solo on Deep Purple's Highway Star. He's good. Yeah, I hear you. He's well, you good. know what? We can top that right now, Chip, because it's week 10, <laughs> the final week of Random Q2. So for the listeners that haven't been with us, tell them how this works, and let's do it the final week. Ah, uh, They probably all know by now, Bill. But just in case, Random Q2 is our annual 10-week series. Four years we've been doing it now. Uh, we're over two minutes or so each week. I hit Bill with two questions, one about a sports topic, something timely usually, while the second question will be one of ten random questions that have already been written down about whatever. Bill will pick a number from one to ten each week for that one. And yeah, he's down to the final question now. There you have it. So here we go, Bill. You know, I didn't write the question down this week, but uh, I had a bunch that I had in mind, and we were going to actually ask Frog about this, but didn't get to it. So I'm going to ask you. There's a lot of talk about playing Major League Baseball at some point later this summer, maybe in Arizona, maybe in Arizona and Florida, with no fans. What do you think of the idea, and can it work? What would it be like? I don't like the idea. I don't think it can work. And I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> wow. It is kind of crazy, but I mean, given a choice between no baseball and that, I would take that because I want to see baseball. But yeah, it is kind of a crazy idea. I don't know how they would fit well, all those I, games in. And it's 110 degrees well, here, in Arizona. Here, well, here's the deal, though, Chad. I mean, we're, you know, I get the fan part because they're all packed in there together. Right. But what about these, uh, the traveling party? Of the team, oh, yeah. the trainers, the bat boys, uh, you know, everybody, they're going to travel in buses and planes. They and, would all have to be or, tested. I guess not but, planes. I yeah. guess not planes if they're all in Arizona. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, there are people. We, we are, to me, what it is, it's, uh, it's our lack of patience and our greed for entertainment that we're wanting to put guys out there. Uh, the catcher, the umpire, and the batter are not going to be six feet or two feet apart. Right. Um, are are they immune to all this? No, they would all have to be tested regularly, tested regularly, or it's not going to fly. So I don't think it's going to happen, but we shall see. That's enough about that. What happens when the first guy and what happens when the first guy, uh, Bryce Harper, big shot, gets sick. And then they're going to shut it down again. So it's, I don't think it's going to happen. Bad idea. All right. For your second question, Bill, well, no need to pick a number because there's only one left. It is number four. So what number do you want, Bill? <laughs> okay. You, you mentioned, Bill, in our very first show, I think, almost six years ago, you said that you worked at the Palestra as a young man. Any particular memories that stand out from those days, the 1970s, I guess? Your days at the Palestra? Oh, uh, so many. So many. Um, there, there was a game, and I'm not even going to guess the year. I'll say 73-4. I will guess. Uh, Villanova, St. Joe. Tom Inglesby for Villanova. Mike Bantam for St. Joe's. When we got done, see, we worked a doubleheader, and Penn usually played the first game, played an Ivy game, and yes. then we would get off work. I was an usher. So five minutes, four to five minutes into the second game, uh, they would come actually give us money. How about that? The guy got paid for that. Whoa. And then we would just roam around. Well, we knew the security people and all that. We always found a spot. Uh, usually right off the bench, if you were watching on TV, it was off the left side because my mom and dad used to always see you sitting there. And uh, that's where we would sit. And uh, St. Joe Villanova was certainly, that year was a special game. Um, Adrian Dantley, John Shoemate, and the Fighting Irish came to town. Uh, that was big. They played LaSalle. Uh, just so many great, great games that took place during that time. Yeah, I'm sure they. it was a great time for you because you're getting to watch all this stuff for free and seeing these, you know, future pros. So wow. They paid me, Chad. They paid me. Yeah, I know. And you got to see the and game. I, I want to so. say, I, nice. I say it was $14. I think they gave us $14. Per night? At the time. Wow. 
Hey, at the time, that was a lot. <laughs> 14 bucks you know, for a kid. I was 14, I was 14, 15 years old. Yeah, that's not bad at all. All right. That's Good it for stuff. Random Q2, Bill. We've done it again. All right. Good stuff. I enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Wait, Chet, we've had a lot of fun picking our all-time favorite Sixers, Eagles, and Phillies, and it was tough to do. We're going to hold off on the Flyers until we have our next hockey guest, then we'll, we'll make that a hockey night. Uh, but I'm not letting you off the hook, my man. We're going to start a five-week series building our own Mount Rushmore of Philly athletes. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to pick one a week. It can be the same one if that's what we choose, uh, however it comes out. In the end, we're going to have to get to five. We couldn't even get to five in one sport so far. So are you up for this? We're going to the five greatest athletes that we have seen. Well, I'm not entirely sure how we're doing it, really. So explain yourself, Chief. How the heck are we going to do this? Well, what we're going to do is you're going to go first tonight, okay? And we'll go back and forth, and you're going to pick one of your five. It could be your easy one, if you have an easy one, or any one of your five, and you're going to just say, hey, here's my guy, and here's why he's my guy, and here's who I put him up against, and uh, this is why I came up with him being one, him or her, being one of the top five greatest athletes that you have ever seen. So we're basically, we're going to talk about mid-60s to the present. Yeah. That eliminates the Van Buren's, Bednarik's, and some of them that you and I never saw. Right. Well, uh, can we agree that it has to be athletes that played in Philly rather than guys who were from Philly but played elsewhere, like, you know, Kobe Bryant, Marvin Harrison, Mike Piazza, et cetera? Yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. Okay. So it's okay. guys who played in Philly. All right. Shall we begin? Absolutely. All right. You are up. I now, have. Now, what would the other thing we'll do, Chad? Yeah. Next week, I'll go for it. Yes, that sounds good. That's fair. Okay. All right. I have three guys for sure for my Mount Rushmore. I'm still debating on the other two, but we're only going to do one each tonight. And here's one of mine who definitely belongs there. And I bet he's going to be on your list too. He has to be. You're Mount Rushmore. He is a baseball Hall of Famer and widely considered to be the greatest third baseman of all time, not just in terms of the Phillies, but in terms of baseball in general. 548 career home runs, a three-time NL MVP, a World Series champion, and a 10-time Gold Glove winner. Of course, of course, I'm talking about Michael Jack Schmidt. And how's this for a tie-in, Bill? Earlier this week, it was 11 years since we lost the great Harry Callis. And here is Harry the K calling a memorable Schmitty home run almost 33 years ago to the day, April of 1987, with the Phillies playing those Pirates in Pittsburgh. Here's the stretch by Robinson. The 3-0 pitch. Swing a long drive! There it is! I'm sure you've never heard that call before, Bill. <laughs> I have heard it. But, hey, I got, a, I got a tidbit I have to throw in here. Yes, Jeff. yes. I was at a golf tournament many, 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 many years ago, and that Don Robinson was at the golf tournament. Really? Yes. Did you so, talk to him about it? Did you I, ask him? No, better, better. I asked him. I had a ball, and I asked him to sign it Yeah. and say, I served up number 500 to Mike Schmidt. <laughs> wow. He did. That's pretty cool. He signed it. That's cool. Years later, I got Schmidt to sign it. Oh, so wow. up on the ball, up on the circular part of the ball, it says I served up number 500 like Schmidt. And then on the sweet spot, Schmidt signed it with a big <laughs> laugh. He, he enjoyed oh, wow. signing it. I will uh, I will share a picture of that. How's That's that? nice. Yeah, good old Schmidt. right here. I can see it. <laughs> Good old Schmitty and good old Harry on that call. And, yes, Michael Jack Schmidt is on my Mount Rushmore of great Philly athletes. So, Bill, you're up. All right. Well, I am going to take my easy number one and get him out of the way, Chet. And uh, that is the Big Dipper. Um, the, not only the greatest player to ever play in Philadelphia, the greatest player, basketball player in, in the history of the game. Um, you know, three years with the Philadelphia Warriors where he led the league in, in scoring and rebound in all three of those years. Came back for the 76ers when they became the 76ers after the San Francisco Warriors. Uh, dominated there, too. Uh, won a championship here, but then went on to some big years with the Lakers, which uh, we don't like to even talk about. But 
50.4 points, 25.7 rebounds in a game, a year that will never, ever <laughs> be uh, be matched up. And just, you know, there are longer careers, but there are no better careers than the Big Dipper. So I am going with Will Chamberlain. My easy number one is out of the way. My hard work is in front of me. <laughs> By the way, Michael Jordan is on line one for you. You said something about the greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan has a little beef with you, I think. Uh, Michael Jordan could not carry Wilt Chamberlain's <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Write it down. It's not close. Wow. It's not close. I may have to take that uh, little <laughs> I, I, audio bite. I'll just give you one more tidbit of information. Okay. Yes. You brought that up. Wilt Chamberlain, for his career, all right, his entire career averaged 30.1 points, 22.9 rebounds a game for his career. Not for a week or a season, a career. 23 rebounds a game. Yeah, he was pretty good. And uh, tell me how many times he took off for load management. <laughs> uh, he, he didn't because, actually, I'm looking at the stat sheet. Five times he led the league in games played. And uh, three other times he played 82 games in a regular season. So there was no load management for the big difference. Remember the one year he averaged like 48 and a half minutes a game because of overtime games? He averaged over 48 <laughs> minutes a game. That's amazing. <laughs> He, he did. He did. And actually, uh, he led the league in minutes played in just about every one of his seasons. Good part of them, anyway. All right, so we're off to a good start. I have Michael Jash Schmidt. You have uh, Wilt Chamberlain. So uh, two great choices right there. And you know what? I, I said I know who two of my others will be, but I'm not sure about my final two just yet. And you know what, Bill? Just as we're doing this, the Philly Inquirer is about to start or has just started. They were going to do it Tuesday. Now they said later in the week. A field of 64 bracket to determine Philly's best all-time athlete. So we'll see how that turns out and compared to our Mount Rushmore. And readers will be able to cast mm. votes. I'm going to definitely have to check that out. The uh, field of 64 yeah, coming yeah. in the next day or two in the Inquirer. So there you go. I will have to check that out as well. All right. Hey, that's a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, the hard work for me is certainly ahead. Yes, sir. All right. So, hey, let's give a shout out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so their chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. All right. Well, hey, Chet, a lot of fun talking to Frog tonight. So let's talk about who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week. You know what? I'm going to make you wait about three or four minutes for that. I'm going to make you wait. In the meantime, I want to talk to you about some draft stuff because – as you know, next week is the draft, and I've been hearing Ray Didinger a lot on WIP. He is really, really high on uh, Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver. And most people don't think he'll be there at 21. The Eagles would have to move up to get him. But now Mel Kuyper and somebody else have come out with a mock draft that say Ruggs will still be there at 21. And, you know, Ray thinks he would be a great fit for the Eagles. He's a great outside receiver with real good speed, 4.27. I think he runs the 40. Uh, if I were them and if I agree, you know, being in the Eagles management, I would move up to get him to you know, maybe 14 or 15 to be sure. But uh, Ray Diddy thinks he's the best fit for the Eagles among the great wide receivers that are available, you know, Judy and Ruggs and Jefferson and Lamb. So, You've watched more college football than me. Do you have any special opinion or any opinion about these guys that are being touted as the best wide receivers? Well, you know, it's just such a crapshoot. I don't really have a special opinion yet, but, you know, uh, Ray was the first to admit that he really thought Ortega Whiteside was going to be all that. Yeah. And so far he hasn't been. Uh, man, it's such a crapshoot. So I don't know. You know, they certainly have to go get a wide receiver, but, uh, geez, I, you know, there, there's so many available, and you just never know which one. You could, you know, you pick one, and one comes 10 picks behind and ends up being better. Uh, who knows? And my other Eagles-related football question is, there's been some more talk over the past week about Shady McCoy having a desire to come back to the Eagles. I'm against it. Do you have any interest in bringing Shady McCoy back at this stage of his career? I don't really have a problem with it. If he – if from the what I saw where he wants to come back and be a, a mentor, 
um, and, and understands his role. And he's a, he's a healthy scratch probably most games and, and available if needed. I'm okay with that. Uh, if he comes back and thinks he's getting 20 carries a game, then I'm, I'm not okay with that. Yeah, I'm just still not sure about the whole maturity level of him, even though he is like 31 or 32 now or whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, he might be more of a I'm distraction. I'm hoping he's grown so. out of that. I hope so, but yeah, I don't know. know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that move. That. All right. Anything else on football? Uh, well, uh, are we going to talk about our rest in peace segment that we never wanted to have again? Should we do that now? And first? here we are having it again. Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll talk about what's happening next week. Uh, yeah, it was another All week right. of sad news, Bill. I mean, we talked last week about losing uh, Timmy Brown and uh, Al Kaline and uh, Tom Dempsey, and now another week of sad news. We lost Nancy Giles, Bill Giles' wife. We found out that Carl Anthony Towns' mom died of COVID nineteen. Yankees co-owner Hank Steinbrenner died after a lengthy illness. Uh, we just found out today about the Packers' great defensive end Willie Davis losing a battle. And, of course, Pete Redslaff is the one that we really have to talk about. I remember only the last year or two of his 11-year career with the Eagles, the mid-60s, but, man, what an athlete. He could play running back, split end, tight end. I didn't realize, but he didn't catch a single pass while at South Dakota State. And yet, in 1958, he led the NFL with 56 pass receptions. Yeah, it was a different era. 56 pass receptions led the league. Of course, they only played 12 games at that time. So he was one of the greats. And Ray Didinger, uh, in his weekly appearance on WIP with the Midday Guys, today talked about Pete Redslaff. An all-timer. He really is. When you talk about the great players that have worn the Eagles uniform, Pete's right there. You know, that's why his number's retired. You know, that's why nobody's ever going to wear 44 again. He was really a, a revolutionary kind of player. He came along in the 60s, and he was part of that wave of guys that kind of made the tight end position a real receiver position and really kind of changed offenses, you know, allowed teams to kind of play from the inside out in the passing game. Great player. So Ray Didinger on WIP today. What are your memories of Pete Redslaff, Bill? Well, I remember him as a, as a kid, and uh, I, re- I can remember the day I got his first football card out of a pack, Chet. And uh, he he was just, he was somebody that was real special and uh, a great player and, and a, a fan favorite. And you know, he became the Eagles' general manager also along the way. So, uh, and and an ambassador for the for the club all the way up until the end. He was a better player than he was a general manager. I'll tell you that. But then he also did some TV work. Uh, for one of the local stations as well as CBS, the network. Uh, but, yeah, a real good player. Made the Pro Bowl five times. He was a two-time first-team All-Pro. And as Ray noted, his number 44 is retired or has been retired by the Eagles. So rest in peace, Pete Redslaff. Well, absolutely. And Willie Davis today, yeah, uh, yeah. there'll be more to come out on Willie. But, man, what a what a great guy. I, I had an opportunity to be around him a few times. And, uh, you know, Willie made, made a whole bunch of money in his life uh, – he ended up owning a handful of radio stations and all that. He had a um, NBA um, after his playing days there with uh, Vince Lombardi. And speaking of resting in peace, I think it might be the end of the line for the XFL again, Bill. Uh, of course, you know, they had to shut down their operations because of the pandemic in mid-March, and now they've laid everybody off, and it sounds like they might not be back again. So XFL, we hardly knew you. We hardly knew. Hey, Chip, before we get to talking about next week, don't forget uh, here in about 10 minutes when we're finished up, we're going to go over to my Facebook page, Bill Furman's Facebook page. We're going to run Philly Press Box Radio, Philly Sports Trivia uh, for 30 minutes. Got a lot of questions to ask. We'll see who knows what about Philly sports. So jump over there and jump in and uh, have some fun. Yeah. All right. All right. So next week. Let's Let's talk about next week. Well, Bill, we have two of our favorites next week. One is a guy who's been here very often over the last six years, and the other is, to our show anyway, a newbie, but someone that we all admire. All right, next Wednesday is Draft Night Eve, so it's not a surprise that we'll have a guy joining us who's been following football for more than four decades, the semi-retired Mark Eckel, live from South Carolina. We'll see what Mark thinks about the Eagles, what they might do in that very different 2020 NFL draft. Our other guest, Bill, is a guy I've been trying to get on here for the past year and a half, and it's finally happening. One of the most popular Philadelphia athletes of all time, a Hall of Famer and two-time Stanley Cup champion, the great Bernie Perrant on our show. Woo! Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. 
Gotta love it. Fantastic. All right. Well, with that, uh, you have a parting shot before we wrap it up? I do, Bill. And uh, let's see. Movie theaters. I was going to tell you about movie theaters. They are off limits these days, but I'll tell you, I love what the historic Colonial Theater in Phoenixville has been doing recently. They've been posting fake movie titles on their marquee. Yes, it's a theater that actually still has a real marquee. All of the titles are essentially puns, plays on words in legitimate movie titles, but changed for this quarantine age. The theater staff put some of the first few up on its own and then opened it up to the public to submit titles for a, well, punny marquee title contest, as they called it. Among the very best, guess who's not coming to dinner? Ferris Bueller's month off. Mr. Smith goes to wash his hands. The day the earth stayed home. And my three personal favorites, Bill, Don't Stand By Me, Scarf Face, and No Close Encounters of Any Kind. So great job by the Colonial Theater and the movie lovers who contributed. Very cool. Yeah. That's good. Hey, one hey, other thing, the Bill. things we do when we have free time, I right? know, I know. One other thing I want to mention today, Bill, is National Rubber Eraser Day because it was 250 years ago today that the rubber eraser <laughs> was invented. I kid you not. 1770. Where did you get that? Is, that? is that true? Where'd you get that? <laughs> that is true. Every day as I'm driving to work, uh, 11.20, 11.25-ish, WMMR, Pierre Robert, the legend, does a, like, today in history kind of thing. Talks about that kind of stuff and music history and concerts on this date. And he mentions, like, what today is. You know, today is Wash Your Face Day. Today is Flower Day. Today is National Rubber Eraser Day because it was invented 250 years ago on this date. There you go. <laughs> now, now you know. <laughs> Who needed to know? But now you know. Anyway. Oh, and Jackie Robinson, of course, was uh, making his debut seventy-three years ago today. That was mentioned too by Pierre, nineteen forty-seven. So yes, there you and, go. Uh, and and if you happen to notice on my Facebook page, I put that really cool picture of Jackie Robinson walking away from Evans Field in his street clothes uh, seventy-three years ago today. Really super cool uh, yep. image right there. Yep. There you go. All right. All right. Shall well, we wrap? We've we've wrapped. Time to wrap it up, Jet. Let's thank our special guest, Mark Carfagno, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PBCC One One Eight Raz Room, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesko, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April twenty second, at seven p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. On blogtalkradio.com slash Radio, or on Google Podcasts as well as Apple Podcasts and a bunch of others. Hi, hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and stay safe out there. Hey.